0: What country has more tigers than any country in the world? You might be surprised. (laughs)
1: Okay. And who invented the seventh inning stretch?
0: Mm, Somebody invented that.
1: Well, not exactly.
0: Oh, okay. We'll talk. Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to The Off-Ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity with fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia.
1: Tantalizing.
0: Yes. So, Marcia. Yeah. What country has the most tigers in the world?
1: Well, I would think India.
0: You'd think India would. But I'm wrong. Well, let me ask you this. Kenya, the United States, Thailand, Tanzania, or India? India. No, India is wrong. <laughs> I told you that once. Thought <laughs> you were tricking me again. No. All right. This was a surprise to me. Okay. The United States. What? Yes. There are only about four thousand tigers living in the wild. But more tigers are in the United States than anywhere else. Approximately 5,000 tigers living in captivity, not just in zoos, though. That's the problem. The World Wildlife Fund says only 6% of captive U.S. tigers are in zoos. Most are owned by private individuals. Can you believe that? Oh, it's
1: like that show I watched. Yes. uh, The Tiger King or whatever it was.
0: People get them when they're little cubs. They think, oh, I can take care of this thing. And and then it grows and grows. Some of them are used for entertainment and carnivals or promotional exhibits. Some are housed at rescue facilities, but uh, more are privately owned in the U.S. And the World Wildlife Fund says most private tiger owners aren't properly trained to care for wild animals, so the tigers are vulnerable.
1: Oh, you bet they are. Where are all the U.S. tigers? Probably south. Yeah. Alabama, Mississippi. No, not those states. No? Florida?
0: No. Texas? Texas. Mm. By some estimates, 5,000 tigers live in Texas.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Tigers are endangered in Asia, but in Texas, they're backyard pets. Texas requires owners of exotic pets to register their animals, but most don't. So the state doesn't know where privately owned tigers are located.
1: These animals should be in jungles.
0: And law enforcement authorities have little or no heads up when something's going to escape. More tigers in Texas in private hands than anywhere else in the world. We are not going to retire there (laughs) now. Just saying. Sources for that were the Britannica.com, the World Wildlife Fund, and the Houston Chronicle.
1: Okay. So you know what the seventh inning stretch is in baseball, don't you, Bob?
0: Yes, yes, I do. What That's is when it? you um, everybody gets up and does a stretch, and uh, they play take me out to the ball game, and then right. we go back. So my
1: question is, Bob, what president of the United States started the seventh inning stretch by accident? Oh, really? Yeah. Could that be Warren G.
0: Harding? No. Because he was like the first guy, I think, to get out there and throw the ball. So what happened was somebody got up by accident, stood up, and and then everybody stood up. (laughs) Was it Calvin Coolidge? No. Was it FDR? No. Who was it?
1: 1910, William Howard Taft. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, he was attending a baseball game. President William Howard Taft stood up to stretch his legs between the top and the bottom of the seventh inning. <laughs> the crowd thought he was leaving, and out of respect, stood up too.
0: the king is leaving (laughs) and
1: then he sat down and they went oh and so they all sat down so the stretch immediately became popular especially because the vendors liked it because it was like one last chance call to sell off their hot dogs dogs. no kidding uh, before people started drifting home
0: Isn't that funny? Uh
1: Uh-huh. So William Howard Taft just stands up to stretch, and the whole (laughs) place gets up to say goodbye. If the
0: president stretches, we stretch.
1: They just thought he was leaving. Isn't that
0: funny? Now, that shows you what a different time that was. And it, we didn't have television. So that had to spread through the crowd. The president oh, must st- be leaving. He's, yes, he's standing
1: yes. up. Everybody yeah. everybody
0: was looking at him because yeah. he was a president. He was there. Isn't that fascinating?
1: Certainly a more polite time.
0: I mean, I, I go to a baseball stadium. I can't look across the field and see who's sitting in a seat over there. Yeah, well, that's true. That's amazing. <laughs> Okay, well, this goes back to about that time. Remember Marcia Paul Harvey's The Rest of the Story? Of course. Well, this is The Rest of the Slogan. Okay. (laughs) One of the most famous slogans of the 1890s was Remember the Maine. Yeah. But that was only half of it. What was the rest? Oh, I don't know. Remember the Maine. Now, that was when that USS Maine, which is a relatively new American battleship docked in the harbor. In Cuba blew up. He was supposedly there just to observe things, but the Cubans were revolting against the Spanish colonial rule, so we sent somebody down there. What made it blow up? Well, they found out later it was an accident, but at the time everybody thought Spain did it! Spain did it! <laughs> And it was a tragedy. Over 260 crew members perished in the fire when the thing blew up. But the slogan that came out of that was, Remember the Maine, to hell with Spain. (laughs) 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 Now I I know why they only printed half of that in our history books when we were kids growing up, you know, because that would have been a great opportunity for us all to swear, right? Yeah. Remember the Maine, to hell with Spain.
1: So everybody thought Spain blew it up, but they didn't.
0: Yeah, they thought it was a submerged mine. And then, of course, the penny press. Remember the Yellow Press? Yeah. Pulitzer and um, William Randolph Hearst. That's it, Hearst. They went after this with a vengeance, saying, we should go to war against Spain. And so, sure enough, we did. (sighs) And uh, a few months later, it was over, and the United States had Puerto Rico, Guam, and the Philippines ceded to them by Spain, and Spain set Cuba free. But for yeah. the record, the investigators later determined the explosion was an accident. Yeah,
1: see, you just you know, listen to these people who don't have all the cheese on their cracker, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it,
0: was and, like, it was like the social media of the time, you know, It just all these flare-up rumors. Can you imagine today yeah. what they'd be oh, saying? Oh, my
1: God, yes. It was a conspiracy. It was this. It Absolutely.
0: Was- they thought it was a submerged mine because uh, when we went there, they said, you can put your battleship over here, and this was a place where— yeah. It was rarely used, so they thought, oh, well, that was a a, a mine blew up there. But it, it, it was there for a week or so before it happened, I think. Okay. But what happened was they think it was a coal bunker fire, and future battleships were redesigned. So they provided greater separation between ammunition storage and the power plants on okay. a ship. All right. But remember the main to hell with Spain. <laughs> okay. I want to say it again because I never got to say it in a history class in school.
1: Indeed. Well, <laughs> what about our son? What was his thing? Oh, Ben? Yeah. Oh,
0: Ben made up a time song.
1: To, time to maneuver on the Hoover. Damn.
0: That's right.
1: <laughs> and he did that in class. He did that
0: in grade school, yeah, I think, so, wasn't
1: it? Trying to get it so he could swear in front of the teacher. Got and the, the whole class
0: to sing the and song. He,
1: and his teacher just rolled his eyes and went, Ben, <laughs> But
0: he went along with it. He did. He went along with it. Okay. Okay.
1: All right, Bob, how much would a hundred pound person weigh on the moon? Mm. Ru- roughly.
0: Okay. So I think you're only about 25% of what you are here. So I think you probably would weigh 75% less. Ah. What's the verdict there, Mrs. Yeah. Smith?
1: Yeah. You'd weigh roughly 16 pounds. Really? On the moon, a person would weigh six times less than they do on Earth. That's because the moon has one-sixth the gravity of Earth. Okay. The low gravity on the moon made it easier for the astronauts to move around and even jump and play golf and whatever the heck they else did up there, right? <laughs> they,
0: they grabbed a bunch of moon rocks.
1: They did yeah. get the rocks. So how much do you think you'd weigh on the sun, Bob?
0: Oh, dear, I don't <laughs> think I'd weigh anything. I think I'd be burned to a crisp before yes. I got there. In
1: the unlikely event you decided to fly of the Sun <laughs> okay <laughs> and got off the ship and after screaming a lot well, okay how okay. much would you have weighed
0: well the gravity there's probably a lot greater so I think you'd be weighing a lot more on yeah. the Sun
1: yeah 16 pounds on the moon and that same person on the Sun 2,800 pounds <laughs> oh,
0: oh, oh. what happened to my diet <laughs> suddenly i feel so heavy
1: the sun's gravity is 28 times of the earth wow there you go
0: well speaking of the sun what on earth is hotter than the sun
1: there's something hotter
0: there's something hotter on earth than the sun and it happens it happens frequently not Uh, lava
1: not lava eruption uh something hot happens happens frequently frequently. not the uh, old geezer geyser
0: no happens frequently it's an event it's not a place
1: A thing.
0: It's a widespread event, a widespread... Fireworks. Well, not fireworks. I don't know. Lightning. Oh. According to Britannica.com, lightning heats the air around it to 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit, which is five (laughs) times hotter than the surface of the sun. So the answer is the air. The air, when heated by lightning, is hotter than the sun.
1: Wow. That's something to noodle over. It
0: is something to noodle over. (laughs) Uh-huh. Speaking of noodles, you have any food questions?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd have to look. No, never no. mind. Okay. Why is the entire range of circumstances called the full gamut? You know, when I, I ran the full gamut on, on research of that project. The
0: gamut. Not yeah. the gambit, but the gamut.
1: Yeah, it's G-A-M-U-T.
0: G-A-M-U-T, Really. Didn't you know that? I didn't know how it was spelled. You oh. know, it's something you hear all your life, but oh, I G-A-M-U-T, gamut. Yeah, you don't know what it means. No, but is y- it a y- phrase be... on
1: games or something? You'll be surprised. Okay. Since 1626, if you can believe it, that phrase has meant that you've run through the full possibilities of anything. Hmm. It goes back all hundreds of years. Wow. However... Gamut literally means the entire range of recognized notes on a musical scale. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, it, that's a real word for uh, all the notes on a scale.
0: Now, I should have known that being a singer. Yeah. I, have, I read music. That's, I never heard that term before. That's why
1: I'm sharing it with okay, you. Well, okay, amaze right. and amuse
0: Oh, well, speaking of music. Yeah. I've got a question for you. Thank you. Which came first, musical instruments or the wheel?
1: Musical instruments.
0: Why would you say that?
1: Because wheel was a lot harder to figure out, and uh, I think they used shells or uh, hollowed-out wooden stuff to make sounds and noises.
0: You're right. Musical instruments, hands down, older. Ning, 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 <laughs> ning, 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 ning. Speaking, <laughs> Thank you, Bob. Speaking you. of bells, <laughs> <laughs> and that's because numerous flutes made out of animal bones have been found in Asia and Africa, and they've been dated far before the oldest known wheel. Yeah. In 2008, a five-finger-hole flute fashioned from the bone of a vulture was discovered in a cave near Ulm in western Germany.
1: In western Germany?
0: Yeah. It's been dated to between 35,000 and 40,000 years old. By comparison, the world's oldest known wheel is only believed to be 7,000 years old.
1: So could a bone flute make music, Bob?
0: Well, it's got five holes, Mm -hmm. so it produces five notes with different pitches. Yeah. In fact, I've got proof for you, Marsha. British expert Wolfheim, using a reproduction of that flute, recently played a number of tunes on his, including this one. And when I first uh, reconstructed the instrument tried to play some tunes, I came across these ones. Sounds a little bit like Star-Spangled Banner.
1: Okay. Well, (laughs) I I thought it'd be a little more dazzling. But
0: But isn't it amazing that a five-hole flute has all the notes necessary for that part of the Star-Spangled Banner? I no, that, that was fantastic. So, yes, ancient bone flutes were real instruments. Okay. They've been found in numerous locations in Europe, Asia, including Germany, Slovenia, and China. And all of them far, far older than the oldest known wheels, which only date from three to 6,000 B.C. So, we've had a little music. I think it's time for a break. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha Smith. I'm Robert Rickman, host of OK Boomer. Yes, we like to entertain you with colorful features, boomer history, and brain fog. But we also tell you about serious stuff, such as... The amount of money taken in from property taxes continues to rise. The actual percentage allocated to senior centers is declining. We search all week for news boomers need to know and make it available to you on OK Boomer. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. OK Boomer! We're back. Welcome to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. We do this every week for the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin, and its internet radio station. And after that, we put it on podcast platforms, and it's heard around the world. Around the world. You always do that. <laughs> and you always say, I'm too dramatic. And then you do, around
1: <laughs> the world. All right, Bob. Okay. You know what hand fasting
0: is? when you make your hands stop eating. That's, <laughs> that's, that's what
1: we're trying to do, isn't
0: it? That's, that's what we're doing, hand fasting. Do. Hand fasting. Bob, get
1: your hands out of the cookie jar. <laughs> that's, that's
0: exactly good. the only way I can. And you say, fast. those
1: coconut cookies aren't going to eat themselves, Marsha. That's right. They're not. <laughs> well, no, actually, this is part of a wedding ceremony that our son participated in.
0: Really? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. You were there. I never thought of it called hand fasting. No,
1: I didn't either. In a wedding ceremony, the bride and groom have their hands bound together. They are the ties that bind. And hand fasting is often a unifying event at a wedding in old Celtic religions and so forth. It didn't start out that way, though. This practice of hand fasting, tying your hands together dates back to 7,000 years before Christ. Oh, my goodness. As part of an ancient Celtic pre-wedding custom, prospective couples would enter into a handfast ceremony with a priest who would bind their hands together with a cord or a ribbon. Brides and grooms who chose to hand fast were considered engaged. That was their engagement. Huh. And they had a year and one day to determine if they were a good pair. Oh, no kidding. If they were, couples would plan a wedding. If not, they were free to go their separate ways. I tried to find out how long did they have to stay bound together. How long were their
0: hands fast yeah, like that? certainly you
1: wouldn't go through the whole year bound together.
0: <laughs> Must have been just a short time. But th- that was a fascinating part of the Russian Orthodox wedding yeah. that we attended and yeah. participated in. Yeah. And when I saw that priest tighten those that cloth around Ben and Daria's hands, oh, my God, it looked like it hurt so bad. Yeah,
1: he wasn't messing around. No.
0: Was, yeah. So that goes back to 7,000 B.C.? Yeah. That's so, like, amazing. Isn't
1: it? uh, I had no idea it was that ancient.
0: And then it uh, became part of Christian uh, and Jewish, I assume, uh, ceremonies for for, years. It still is used today.
1: Yeah, I've never seen it before.
0: Yeah, this was the first time I'd ever seen it. It was a surprise.
1: Lots of traditional uh, things going on in that wedding.
0: Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Okay, Marsha, a couple questions quick. What animal produces the largest single cells produced on Earth? The single cell, it's a single cell. Say
1: the question again. What
0: animal produces the largest single cells on Earth? We've (laughs) talked about this animal before. It produces very large eggs. Oh, ostrich. Yes, and each one of those eggs is considered a single cell. Oh, really? Yeah, isn't that fascinating? Jeez. By volume, ostrich eggs are the largest single cells on Earth. Huh, I found that fascinating. I never
1: would have thought of that.
0: That uh, came from Britannica.com.
1: I have another wedding question. Okay. How did the bridal party come about?
0: The bridal party? Yeah. We're not talking about a bridal that's used with a horse. We're talking about...
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is a wedding, Bob. Okay, yeah, sorry. Okay. It goes back to the ancient Romans.
0: Does it? Okay. So there's a reason that they had the party? Yeah. Everybody was tired? Uh, it was over it's with? A,
1: it's not a party. It's the bridal party. The people oh, in the, people the wedding. the people in
0: the wedding. That's called a Well, I know the be- best man was supposed to protect the woman, uh-huh. the prospective wife. Yeah. And he was like the right-hand guy. He was the wingman for the groom.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Uh, but I don't know about the other people.
1: They were the bodyguards.
0: Mm, both of them? Yeah. Bridesmaid and the yeah. best man were they, both bodyguards?
1: Lot more than just two people, though. The Romans required 10 male witnesses, 10, to vouch for the couple, while the bride's female companions, they would prepare her and escort her to the ceremony, and they would all dress similarly. And why? To prevent kidnappers and thieves from making off with the bride's dowry or the bride herself. Jeez. As for the groomsmen, huh, they were there to help the groom get ready and be a bodyguard for the bride.
0: Wow, that she was quite a prize then, wasn't she? Well, yeah, I guess it was the
1: dowry was more than anything. <laughs> I think
0: that's what it was. It was you got this uh, bit of money you're getting for taking my daughter. Yeah. it's. <laughs> Do they all get a cut? I mean, I how did know. this work? I don't you know? know. It's
1: uh, pretty strange, don't you think?
0: It is. So but this, this is,
1: goes back to the Romans, Bob.
0: This is like a brigade of people that were there to just be bodyguards, make sure everything goes yeah. the way it is, and yeah. nobody messes with this, this ceremony. And not, it wasn't like the fun time it is today.
1: No, but huh. now they're back up to easy 10 people on both sides. <laughs> 10 or
0: 12. I wait, know. Wait, didn't we go to one there were 12 people on each oh side? Oh, my God. It's, it's like, wow, that it's looks like, like a big a, candelabra up there. Oh, I think. <laughs> How
1: much does that uh, pre-wedding dinner cost? Oh, my goodness. When everybody and
0: it is amazing, got, isn't it?
1: Oh, dear, yeah. And, what it, of course, we didn't even have one, so yeah. it worked out nice. We well,
0: had a after-wedding dinner with our two friends who, who stood up for us. Who had to witness the wedding. Yeah, they witnessed it. Well, they, they paid for their work. <laughs> okay. Bob and Ann. All right, all right. Okay. Here's one on movie titles. All right. Sometimes they have to change during translation. In the 1955 era, the movie "I'll Cry Tomorrow" when that appeared in Indonesia. Do you know what its title was changed to? <laughs> "I'll Cry Tomorrow." That was translated in Indonesia to "To relieve yourself from the grief of your passions." <laughs> Must have been a big marquee, huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Another question. Mhm. What is the world's largest desert? It gets so little precipitation. The Sahara? No. The
1: Gobi. This is Go-gibig? the largest the one desert. With the G? I don't...
0: No, not the Gobi or whatever it is. Yeah. No. I don't know. The largest desert in the world. Tell me, Bob. It's one of the coldest places in the world. Really? Yeah.
1: Oh, it's in Antarctica.
0: Antarctica is technically the world's largest desert.
1: I asked you that a few weeks yes, ago. Yes, you
0: did and I brought it back and you forgot it.
1: Yes. <laughs> Classic, classic. (laughs) It's classic. I love it. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's all right. I apologize. And, Bob, you know what the QR code is, right? Yes, I do. What does it stand for, QR?
0: QR, Quality Reproduction.
1: That's a good guess. No,
0: uh, Quotient Reading. No. Query. Quiet Road. I don't know what it stands for. Quick Response. Oh, dear, of course.
1: Yeah. QR codes are those pixelated looking black and white squares you can scan on your phone for more information about something, be it weather or advertising, even art, right? We use them at the art museums. They've become ubiquitous, ubiquitous. they've become, they're everywhere. Now they're everywhere, especially after COVID-19, the pandemic, and then menus. Oh, well, that's they right. They wanted contactless menus and payment.
0: That's right. They kind of popularized yeah, that. And I really
1: I? hate looking up the menu with that thing. <laughs> we always screw it up. Oh, wait, I didn't order that at uh, <laughs> Codfish on Rye. I don't think so. I
0: think you ordered this Rorschach test here, didn't you? I mean, it's uh, yeah. it's what it looks like.
1: But they're rarely called by their full name, which is quick response. And the codes can be used to share far more than a link. If you wanted to, you could share an entire book with one code. I didn't
0: know that. Yeah,
1: me either. The technology was first developed by a Toyota subsidiary in the mid 90s as a way to track auto parts. Well,
0: I knew they were like pioneers in RF uh, codes and things like that.
1: So I, I vaguely remember that people would track how many parts they had. Yeah, right. With these things.
0: Then they became uh, consumer products.
1: Yeah, oh, uh, but they found a new life as a way to direct smartphone users from physical space to a digital one.
0: They have those on TV ads, and yeah. you just take your phone up there, and yeah. by the time you get but up there, it's, it's
1: gone. Gone. has yeah, gone. <laughs> and, and gone. It's gone. It, was it wasn't it in a Super Bowl ad. <laughs> yes. And I'm looking, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Yes, ad. let me get this started. Let me yes. get this started. That, oh, it's gone. <laughs> well, they used to require a special reader, but nowadays most smartphone cameras will read a QR code on their own which is great because I'm always looking for the damn app <laughs> but now you just take a picture and it works so
0: alright Marcia what transportation innovation is the one that introduced something we all take for granted these days reading while in motion reading while you're moving when was the first time people started doing that
1: what What the heck are you talking well, about well like, people
0: would pick up a book or a yeah. magazine and read it while they're traveling
1: oh like in a car
0: well it's I'm asking you well, what was the transportation innovation that introduced reading while in motion?
1: Uh, well, it wouldn't be a bicycle. I'd just sit sitting in the back seat of a car. I don't know. Railroads. Oh, of course.
0: Railroads. All now, right. I'm sure people were able to read somewhat. On ships, but, you know, if you're down below deck, it was dark there. Well, I I would have been
1: way up high. Well,
0: depends on, (laughs) you're on the ocean, and we're talking the ancient days. I mean, let's say before the 1840s, but it was a relatively smooth ride of a railroad train that permitted it, and in 1850, novelist Nathaniel Hawthorne observed passengers reading newspapers, pamphlets, and novels when not chattering or sleeping. That was the first reference to that in literature. Okay,
1: well that makes sense. And of course, in planes, everybody does it now.
0: And then railroads also accelerated reading because they They fostered it. They were selling novels and magazines and newspapers and guidebooks on the trains. Oh, that was smart. So they were encouraging that. It also encouraged letter writing because the railroads transported mail. So while you're there, you could write a letter and give it to the conductor, and it'd go in the mail pouch, and boom, you didn't have to go to the post office. In 1840, there were... 20 million domestic letters carried by the U.S. Postal Service, and by 1860, 162 million letters. That went up by eightfold.
1: All right, speaking of uh, mosquitoes.
0: What? I don't think we were talking about mosquitoes.
1: (laughs) What's the best beverage to avoid? What beverage attracts
0: mosquitoes? Uh, Let me see. Something with sugar in it or something like that?
1: Beer. Beer. What? Good old beer.
0: Beer attracts mosquitoes? Yeah, how can you have a
1: picnic without
0: beer? Oh, my God. No wonder there are mosquitoes at every picnic. That's
1: right. Wearing long-sleeve apparel and dousing yourself in insect repellent can help, but avoiding some beverage, particularly beer, can protect you. According to a 2010 study of mosquito-biting preferences, which I read. Oh,
0: really? They, they actually talked to them? Yeah. I, I
1: just, well, we like this. I just this. read the study last night. Mosquito biting preferences. How do they conduct a
0: survey like that? Come on.
1: Beer makes humans more attractive to these pests. And uh, just a little mosquito trivia. Do you know that the mosquito can lay 3,500 number of eggs?
0: Marcia, this whole thing is mosquito trivia. <laughs>
1: Three thousand five hundred number of eggs is an adult female can lay. Oh my God! At any time. Oh so Lord! When you empty that still water out of the bucket in the backyard, yeah. you could be killing thirty five hundred potential
0: mosquitoes. mosquitoes. That's well, right. or preventing thirty five hundred potential right, Lord. entering
1: you and your beer. Okay, last question: What is the only country, Bob, without mosquitoes?
0: The only country in the world. It's the only country without ants. It's Antarctica. But it's not a country, it's a continent. Right. Is that what the question actually is? No. What's the only continent? Mm -mm. Okay, is it Iceland? It is! Iceland doesn't have mosquitoes, it doesn't have ants either.
1: You're just They just don't have
0: things there. This
1: is your day, Bob.
0: Thank you so much. (laughs) All right, I have a final question. Good. What is the highest mountain in the world that isn't part of a mountain range? And I'll give you choices, again, in my benevolent way. Okay, (laughs) Mount Hood... Uh-huh. Mount Logan, uh-huh. Mount Kilimanjaro, uh-huh. Mount Fuji, or the Matterhorn. I will say Hood. Hood is wrong, Marsh.
1: <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong.
0: Okay, we've got uh, th- four other choices. Mount- Matterhorn. Wrong, Marcia! <laughs> <laughs> what is the highest?
1: Tell me, damn it.
0: Okay, the highest mountain in the world that's not part of a mountain range, it's Africa's tallest mountain.
1: Kilimanjaro.
0: Kilimanjaro. It's mm-hmm. 19,340 feet above sea level. It's the world's largest freestanding mountain. That's because it is a volcano. Mm. Yeah, it actually has three different cones. And they have names. Mawenzi. And Shira are extinct, but Kibo, the tallest, is only considered dormant. So it's possible Kilimanjaro could erupt again sometime. So that mountain is formed of ash, lava, and rock.
1: You ready for my quote?
0: I sure am.
1: Okay, I'll end with a quote from George (laughs) Gobel.
0: Oh, the old comedian. (laughs) Used to be on TV when we were kids.
1: In uh, the 50s. uh, Lonesome George. Lonesome George Gobel in the early 60s, too. And he said... If it weren't for electricity, we'd all be watching television by candlelight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> There's a guy who didn't have enough cheese on his cracker. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, that's funny. Okay. If you'd like to participate in our show uh, by giving us a question, a quote, or some information that might be fun to stump Marcia with, you can go to our website, theofframp.show, scroll all the way down to contact us and leave your information. That's it for me. Bye. (laughs) I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marsha Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. She's so ready to get rid of me. Here on (laughs) The The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library. Cedarburg, Wisconsin.